Our scripture this morning comes to us from Exodus 20 and then from John chapter 8. You shall not commit adultery. While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Chancellor Choir and Bonnie and David for the, for the beautiful anthem. And I know we got the notice out late this week, but for those of you who are wearing your seersucker today, we appreciate that. Don't wear it after Monday, the fashion police will pull you over. So, uh, but thank you for doing that. And uh, again, thanks for, for being with us on this beautiful Sunday. Most of you probably have heard the story I'm about to tell, but, but bear with me. I don't know if you've heard it from me, probably heard it from other folks too. And uh, gonna tell it one more time, or at least one more time. Um, perhaps humor at least attempted humor is the best way into today's subject, the subject before us this morning. Perhaps not, but there's a fork in the road, so I've chosen to take it. The story takes place in a small town with two main churches, a Baptist church and a Methodist church. And every Sunday morning, the pastors of the two churches meet up on the town square and they um, talk about their sermon for that day and go over their sermon notes. And both of these pastors happen to ride bicycles. One Sunday morning, the Baptist pastor showed up walking without a bicycle. And the Methodist pastor, who was kind and caring and compassionate and nosy, inquired of his colleague brother, what happened to your bicycle? The Baptist pastor, indignation rising in his voice, replied, some scallywag of a stinking scoundrel, some skunk stole my bicycle, and I doubt if I'll ever see it again. I've got a surefire idea, the Methodist preacher said, whatever it was you were going to preach about this morning, just set it aside, use it some other time, and preach from the Ten Commandments. And when you get to number eight, just bear down on it. Thou shalt not steal. And I bet somebody will bring back your bicycle. So he decided he would give that a try. 
And so the next Sunday, they met up on the town square again, next Sunday morning. And the Baptist preacher had his bicycle back. And the Methodist preacher said, well, did you do what I said? Did you preach on the Ten Commandments? Did you preach on thou shalt not steal, number eight? And he said, well, I preached on the Ten Commandments, but I never really got to number eight. Because when I got to number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery, I remembered where I left my bicycle. <laughs> this was posted on social media. Someone said, I believe they should change Valentine's Day to the merry month of May. That way, when men receive their tax refund checks, they can buy flowers and candy for their wives and their girlfriends. Now, I'm not psychic, and I've never been a very good guesser. It's my uneducated guess that this post was posted by a woman scorned, but it could have been posted by a guy, too. There are issues either way. I heard of one church, though, the choir anthem on the Sunday when they talked about the seventh commandment was that old Hank Williams tune, Your Cheating Heart Will Tell On You. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Mention this commandment and people sometimes snicker or giggle a little bit. Giggling and snickering are two things that humans, like all of us, are prone to do when an uncomfortable subject comes before us. If we can laugh a little bit, and maybe that's okay. And maybe laughter buys us a little bit of time until we can start to really look at the subject in a serious kind of way. And I would bet the farm, if I were a batting man, and if I had a farm, that we are all in agreement that adultery is a serious matter. After all, it made the top ten, didn't it? Pause and think about all of the things that can go wrong in this world. All of the, quote, sins. All of the ways that we harm one another and break relationship with one another and with God. Hundreds, thousands, millions of these things, perhaps. And for one to have the dishonor of making the top ten list... That's a pretty big deal. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is very clear. It violates family. Now, according to the late Bishop Richard Wilkie, and some of you are familiar with him, if you've ever been a part of the Disciple Bible Study, I think it's still one of the greatest studies that the Methodist or United Methodist Church has ever come up with for getting to know what the Bible's all about. And Bishop Wilkie and his wife were behind a lot of that study. But according to Bishop Wilkie, this commandment points toward maintaining the sanctity of marriage. Adultery can involve man or woman. It's sexual engagement by a married person outside his or her marriage. And in ancient Israel, it was sometimes punishable by death. Leviticus 20.10 reads, If a man commits adultery, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And I'll say more about that in just a little bit, exactly how they carried out this commandment and, and what the other issues were. But in our society, where often things seem to be permissive and, and we get confused about our sexuality, we do have difficulty appreciating the seriousness with which the folk in ancient Israel viewed this this matter, viewed adultery. There are two accounts 
in the book of Genesis where the patriarch Abraham tried to pass off his wife Sarah as his sister. Now, one of these is in chapter 12. It took place in the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh himself was involved in all of these shenanigans. Abraham had claimed Sarah as his sister so that other men would not kill him in order to have his wife. That was his thinking, we think. And when Pharaoh showed an interest in Sarah, terrible plagues came upon Pharaoh and upon his household and upon the land. And upon learning of the deception that had entrapped him, Pharaoh was furious. And then the second account, Genesis chapter 20, a little later on, you think Abraham would have learned his lesson by now. Once doing this kind of thing, you can't really excuse it, but maybe he learned from that, but no, no, he did not. Nothing would do but that he referred to his wife as his sister again. And King Abimelech of Gerar sent and took Sarah. And listen to the rest of the story. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're about to die because of this woman that you've taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent people? Abraham lied to me. Sarah lied to me. I have not compromised my integrity. And God said, I know the whole story. I know what's happened and what hasn't happened. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, because if you don't, you and all of your family will die. Adultery was deadly, serious business. Now, another account that represents how serious this was in the Old Testament, and this is a story with which most folks are familiar, even if uh, sometimes we don't remember the Abraham and Sarah and sister shenanigans. This is in Genesis 39. Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, who had been sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, had worked his way up in the hierarchy there. And... He was working for his Egyptian master, Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the top officers. And Joseph had earned the trust of Potiphar. And Potiphar trusted this Hebrew slave completely. But the trouble started when Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and made her desires for Joseph evident. Joseph's response to her, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And you know the outcome of the story. Mrs. Potiphar lied, and Joseph was imprisoned for something that never happened. But his integrity was intact. Someone said that Jacob and Rachel had raised him right. Joseph knew sin on a human level is often sin against God. And he knew that adultery can strike a fatal blow against marriage and family and home. And then I suspect the best known account of adultery in the Old Testament involves Israel's most beloved monarch, a giant killer of a man, King David. And the painful details of the story are hard to forget. David is walking on his roof, the flat roof of the palace, and he spies a young woman nearby who is bathing. 
and she's very attractive, and she's also very married. So King David, who could have summoned any unmarried woman in the kingdom, called for Bathsheba, engaged in adultery, and then, to make it worse, he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, sent to the front line of the battle that was raging, knowing that Uriah was most likely going to be killed, and he was. God sent word to David through the prophet Nathan that David's deed had not gone unnoticed. David would be forgiven. But the consequences of his affair broke his heart. You remember when he and Bathsheba lost that child. And Psalm 51 is attributed to King David. We read this psalm, we use it a lot during Holy Week, during Lent, sometimes on Holy Thursday or sometimes on Ash Wednesday. He apparently wrote it after he had been confronted by Nathan. Have mercy on me, O God, David said. Blot out my transgressions against you, you alone have I sinned. You shall not commit adultery. The root word for adultery is the same as the root word for adulterate. It's like mixing in a foreign ingredient like sand in sugar or water in gasoline. Let me quote Bishop Wilkie again for just a moment. He said, God intends for the marriage bed to be pure, unadulterated, constant. When Jesus was asked about divorce, he quoted the creation story from Genesis because he grounded the creation of marriage in the creation itself, the divine meaning of marriage. This commandment is a strong example of the power of the negative and positive power of the commandments. It's restrictive. It rules out other people. It is life-fulfilling because an adulterated marriage can, can grow and it sidesteps many of the emotional wounds and other difficulties that, that often come into a life when this happens. A faithful marriage protects the economic strength of the family, he said. And a solid marriage gives emotional security to children and provides for family continuity. Now let's move a little farther into the New Testament now and look at Jesus' position on this issue. First from the Sermon on the Mount, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus Standing in tradition of the law and the prophets takes this commandment very seriously. And not only the physical act of adultery, but the actions and circumstances that lead up to such an act. Some of you may remember Ron Greer, a pastoral counselor. He worked out of the Peachtree Road United Methodist Church for several years, wrote a few books, used to write a column in the old West End Christian Advocate. He wrote a series of five articles about marriage and about the role that adultery plays in, in doing great harm. And let me share with you just a portion of one of those articles, the second article in that series. And he calls it a line, L-I-N-E, a line crossed. He said it was out of that marriage that he began to develop another relationship. She was a colleague at work. It began as they usually do, as a friendship over coffee and then lunch. They became close. 
And then a significant and tragic line was crossed. It might have been a touch, a hug, a feeling expressed. It even could have seemed no big deal at the time, but it crossed a line. And it had an intimacy about it that belonged only in the marriage. So where is that line, he asked. At what point is he crossed? Most married partners know. And if they genuinely don't know, there's a litmus, litmus test for anything that one is about to say or do with someone else. Simply ask yourself if you would say or do it any differently if your spouse were sitting there right next to you. And he said that question tends to bring a certain amount of clarity. Jesus took adultery seriously obviously. And the gospel lesson for today that Andrew read a moment ago from John chapter 8, a story that just kind of was fit into that particular part of the gospel, and scholars have argued about where the story really belongs. But I remember asking one of my professors in seminary, do you think this story is actual gospel? And uh, he did. That was his thought. So Jesus sits down at the temple in Jerusalem. He sat down to teach. And some of the religious leaders brought before him a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. The law says we stoned her to death, Jesus. What do you say? Their main concern was not an unnamed woman. Their main concern was not the law. Their main concern was to trap Jesus, I do believe. Now, as an aside, according to ancient Jewish law, adultery was the offense of a married woman who had sexual relations with any man other than her husband. A man, on the other hand, was guilty of adultery only when he had relations with someone else's wife. Double standard, you think? Maybe this is what Jesus referred to when he stooped down and he wrote in the sand. All that speculation over all the years. What did he write? Someone said he wrote, it takes two to tango. And then he stood and said, any of you guys without sin? Come on up. Throw the first stone. And have you ever heard the sound when you drop one large rock onto a pile of other rocks, that kind of clinking sound that it makes? You can almost hear that in this story if you read it and listen to it carefully. They all dropped the stones they were carrying and walked away. And Jesus turned to her and said, has anyone condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. Don't sin again. Jesus takes sin very seriously. And adultery is obviously, obviously a sin. But here's the good news, I think, for the woman and for all of us, the one thing that Jesus takes more seriously than sin is forgiveness. Amen.